Magnolia trees at night, sparkling bright. Fields of cotton look wintry white when it's Christmas time in New Orleans. You'll see a Dixieland Santa Claus leading the band to a good old Creole beat. Golly, what a spirit, you can only hear it down on Basin Street. Your cares will disappear when you hear Hallelujah, St. Nicholas is here when it's Christmas time in New Orleans. When it's Christmas time, it's Christmas time in New Orleans. Well, it's Christmas time everywhere. Happy holidays to you out there. Uh, Happy Hanukkah to those of you who've been celebrating that. Almost over with that. Eight days and all that. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy winter solstice for you pagans out there. Happy end of the year. Happy whatever you feel like being happy over. Hopefully, maybe you're just happy that you're getting to hear a radio show. Bunch of free music coming at you, like it is every Monday here on RealPunkRadio.com when the Big Takeover show airs on this station with its host, Jack Rabbit. That's me. As usual, I promise I will not be singing any more of this show. I only subject you to that at the start of every show, and I swear, I just can't help myself. I'm always singing. If you know me, I walk down the street sometimes and people look at me funny because I'm singing to myself. I always have a song in my head. But uh, fortunately, I've got plenty of recordings in my head and in my collection that I can share with you. That's probably a better idea. For one thing, those people are going to recording studios and they have backing tracks and they can discard um, unconvincing performances. Well, if you're new to the show, you're going to hear 30 songs today, actually 31 uh, all of which are recordings that I've never played for you before, even though this is show number 464 in as many Mondays. It is not a streak that I maintain for any reason other than I enjoy doing this show. I like sharing music, and it's always nice when people say they look forward to it, like it's like uh, a weekly habit. Once in a while, we have uh, a little difficulty posting the show on archive over at bigtakeover.com slash radio, and I get besieged, which is nice, nice, really nice. I get besieged with people asking me, when is it going to be posted? When is it going to be posted? So I know some of you uh, are quite dedicated listeners to this show. It's really nice. It really is. It's very pleasant, I think, that people enjoy the show they're going to get. On the bad side, however, is that every week of late, at least, and quite often in the last few years, I seem to have to announce a whole bunch of more deaths we had four last week, a couple of which I heard from you that you didn't know. Uh, I, I hear of a lot of deaths online of lesser-known figures just because of the Facebook friends I have. I've got a lot of Facebook friends through the music world, so I hear of even more obscure music or musicians rather passing from the scene. But in the case of Denny Lane, he is quite famous, so you probably heard about that in even like the New York Times obituary or on like your news alert. And all the obituaries I read noted quite correctly that he was the original singer for the Moody Blues, starting in 1964, back when he was like 19 or 20 years old. And of course, later, much more famously, 
since the, that version of the Moody Blues is not the famous one that most people know apart from one song. Uh, he ended up with Paul McCartney in the Wings and uh, played on all their most famous recordings. But uh, I would like to mention Danny Lane two other things, which is one, uh, he had a string of other th- projects and solo things that he did that I like. And then I got to meet him this year. Um, if you're aware of my son singing at Carnegie Hall, Danny Lane was one of the other acts on the bill for that Paul McCartney tribute show that my son got to play on. So I got to meet Danny Lane. And it's just, it's sad. It turned out he only had another nine months to live. He he just died um, a couple of days ago, age 79. And that is really a shame of lung disease. December 5th in Florida. And so what I thought today is, um, apart from the other two deaths that I have to announce, which were less directly music-related, but I have a couple of songs I want to play in conjunction with more celebrity deaths. Um, Denny Lane had this really great song that most of us heard if we were um, Zombies fans because it became a hit for Colin Blunstone, the Zombies singer in 1972. But it was originally written by Denny Lane, and he recorded the original version of it. In 1967, and this is just a fabulous, fabulous tune and a good one to start a show with. So here we are to begin today's show. The great, now late, Denny Lane from 1967, his absolutely incredible solo single, In Between Moody Blues and the Wings, with string arrangements from future Led Zeppelin star John Paul Jones. This song is called Say You Don't Mind.
that a doormat sees better times. That's bad. It's a sign to get back and think up some better lines. I've been doing some growing. I'm scared of you going to lay down mine to go mad and me up this time.
This life 
Some classic mid-1960s R&B slash soul for you there on the Big Takeover Show on RealPunkRadio.com. I'm your host, Jack Rabbit. I am with you here every Monday from noon until about 2.30 on this great station, and I hope you're enjoying the show so far today. The great, great singer on that track had a little brush with fame here and there, though he isn't massively famous. That was Bobby Womack. The full name of the group, Bobby Womack and the Valentinos. That was a song called What Is This? from 1966, written by him with his brother uh, C. Valentino. This is B. Valentino and C. Valentino on the chess label, the famous Chicago chess label. And as it happens, if you decide you like that song and you go looking for it, you have to make sure you get the right one because just two years later, Womack had a more funk-oriented song with the same name which was also a single and a track on his first album ever called Fly Me to the Moon. So you got to figure out which is which. That later one, in fact, is far more famous because it went on to become his first R&B chart hit. Went to number 33 in the charts. Whereas the one we just heard and quite a few other ones that Bobby Womack and the Valentinos recorded were not hits for the Cleveland Brothers. One of which ended up becoming a much bigger hit for the Rolling Stones, in fact, it was the first ever Rolling Stones hit. It went to number one, I believe, in 1964 because they recorded the original version of It's All Over Now, as in, I used to love her, but it's all over now. You probably know the Stones version. I've played you that original a couple of years ago, so it might sound familiar if you're a regular listener to this show. Uh, later, Womack had a string of hits in the 70s, one of which... I really love, and maybe you too, maybe you do as well. It's called Across 110th Street from the movie of that name in 1973. It had kind of a um, rebirth, a renaissance, a re renaissance in 1997 when Quentin Tarantino stuck that song very prominently in his movie Jackie Brown. Unfortunately, Womack died in 2014, age 70. When I've played him in the past for you, I noted that he ended up marrying his friend Sam Cooke's widow after being one of the backing guitarists in Cooke's band. Of course, Cooke was murdered. It had nothing to do with uh, Bobby Womack, and she had her life and he had his, so no problem with that. But um, one of his brothers in the Valentinos actually married Mary Wells as well. So a couple of interesting marriages there in the Valentino family. And as recently as 2010, only four years before his death, there's a photo of Womack singing live with Damon Albarn's cartoon band, Gorillaz. So <laughs> he was active right until the end. And what a great record that is, right? That was an oldie. We started with an oldie. In between, we heard a bunch of new releases. That is kind of what we do around here on the Big Takeover Show. My eyes are always on the modern scene. There's always great records coming out I want to share with you that I'm enjoying. That's how we make sure that this is never just a nostalgic show, even though you know, it always feels like dessert almost, <laughs> like a, a cookies or cake or ice cream or something. to play wonderful old records like that one. Tobin Sprout, actually, I'm not sure when he recorded the song that we heard before, Bobby, uh, Bobby Womack, called Adam Eyes, and in parentheses, piano version. I'm fully aware, and if you're a guided by voices, Fan, you are as well of the 1996 full GBV version of Adam Eyes on the album Under the Bushes, Under the Stars. But uh, Mr. Sprout has just come out with a double album fairly recently called Demos and Outtakes, Volume 2. Volume 1 was a long time ago. 
So he, he could have been stockpiling this stuff for a long time. It could even have been stuff that just didn't fit on volume one. But uh, I think that's just a really lovely song. I'm a sucker for when Mr. Sprout sits down at the piano. There are so many incredible Tobin Sprout songs. They all sound kind of lo-fi. They all sound like they're recorded in you know, one take all the way through. Or maybe it's take six, but all the way through, like no overdubs. He's just really a master of getting a sonorous sound out of the piano. And so I really go for this new version, or however old it may be. Granddaddy, I thought, was equally uh, sinewy. It was just really, really mysterious and moody and really great. That was Cabin in My Mind, the second single so far that I've played for you off the album, not coming out till February 16th from Jason Lytle's band. The album is going to be called Blue Wav, or Blue Wave, with no E on blue or wave, probably Blue Wave. Sounds a little like Always' uh, most recent album we heard in that set, which is called Blue Rev, but I'll get to that in a moment. Before Granddaddy was the BVs with Clipping. The album is Taking Pictures of Taking Pictures. It's not coming out also until February 16th from the Augsburg, Bavaria, Germany band. That is a request from Elizabeth Klesowitz. Happy to indulge her. It's a very good song there. And as far as I can see, it's the only single so far from that new album not coming out for two more months from the German band with releases going back to at least 2016 on their Bandcamp page. So I'm going to have to wait a little bit longer for the rest of taking pictures of taking pictures. Speaking of always, we did hear them in between... Uh, sorry, before BVs, that was pressed. I think that's the eighth. No, I think it's the ninth song I've played off of Blue Rev, which just goes to show what a extremely consistent and strong record that Molly Rankin wrote there for their great, great Toronto band by way of Prince Edward Island and uh, Northern Nova Scotia. And the main couple in the band is from that area of Canada. Some bits of Johnny Marisms there on the guitar. I have found an announcement in my box this week. It doesn't affect me because I live in New York, but uh, always is coming back to the United States. It's not very far come down from Toronto, but they're doing a very long tour lasting in a solid month that only hits the Midwest, the Mountain West, the South, and the West from Cleveland to California. So if you live in any of those regions, you'll get treated to more always. I shouldn't be greedy. I got to see them twice in the last year in Brooklyn, uh, and I really, really liked them, and also in New York, uh, Manhattan. So uh, let, let's share them with the rest of the country. I shouldn't be greedy. <laughs> but I'd like to see them another 10 or 15 times if I can. Joel Stoker, I'm going to send that one out to Chris Lark because he was the one who hit me with the fact that Joel Stoker has a solo album. I had no idea. Uh, I read an interview with him having found out that he has this solo album out called The Undertow where he said he has no publicist this time, and he was surprised to see the song that we played there called My Own War hit the charts in England. Well, it's because the fans of his band, The Rifles, are among the only type that are still buying records, I think. And he has a very dedicated cult following in England. The Rifles are just fantastic. Unfortunately, it's been seven years since The Rifles' fifth album, Big Life, and I was worried when Mr. Lark told me about Stoker's solo record, that this meant the end of one of my favorite bands in the world. And it's a 
darn good thing I read that interview with him because my worries have been put to rest. They have been assuaged, if I'm pronouncing that word correctly. I have all these words I get from reading. I never hear anyone speak. But uh, he said the rifles are in the studio right now, uh, that they had an album they were working on fairly recently and they didn't like what they were doing. So he he scrapped that and started writing new stuff, which I think is the right thing to do. Just because you record stuff doesn't mean you have to release it. If you have enough money to record more stuff, just don't release an album until you really love what you put out. I think you can always tell in your heart whether you made a great record or not. So yeah, The Undertow is the name of the very first ever solo record from Stoker. It's his sixth studio album. The Rifles also have a very good live album too, so... Lots to to look through if you want to hear more of his music. The uh, solo album seems a little more subdued, a little quieter. Uh, not quite as um, exciting and charging, but he's a great singer and a good songwriter, so happy to find out he has this new record out. It's been out a couple months now. Once again, I feel like uh, Dr. Evil. Need the info. <laughs> well, finally, somebody told me, so thank you, Chris. I'm glad you did. I was in the dark too long. And we started that set with the late Denny Lane. May he rest in peace. He died December 5th, so he's been gone six days now. With strings from John Paul Jones, that was his original version of what became a hit for Colin Bloomstone five years later, only in England. So if you've never heard either version, don't beat yourself up too bad. That was Say You Don't Mind. Uh, He was 79. He wasn't actually born Denny Lane. A lot of people don't know that because Denny Lane sounds like a... Not like a punk rock name or much of a rock star name. He was born Brian Frederick Hines, in fact, in Birmingham, which is the correct way to pronounce that city, by the way, if you're not English. Before forming Denny Lane and the Diplomats in the early 60s, because he just didn't think, from what he said, that Brian Hines and the Diplomats sounded as good. So he took his name from Frankie Lane. (laughs) who was a really big star in the early 60s. Now, not so much. Kind of like uh, um, Frankie Avalon and Paul Anka and that kind of thing, you know, the crooner era of young, young, young people's crooners instead of the old people's crooners has kind of come and gone, has it not? But he was also in a group with the future, the Move and electric light orchestra drummer Bev Bevan. So I think Birmingham was quite a hotbed of talent, producing a lot of people who went on to a lot of famous things, either in England or here. And then, of course, the Moody Blues formed in 64. He was the singer and guitarist front man of that band when he was only 19, 20 years old. They had a gigantic hit on both sides of the pond, even here, with their cover of Bessie Banks' Go Now, which you still hear on oldies radio because it's that good. But uh, he didn't like the management. He didn't like the record company. He left after only one album and a handful of singles that didn't follow up uh, the success of Go Now and went solo, and we heard that song there from when he was only, let's see, 22 years old when he came out with that Say You Don't Mind. He wrote that himself. I read an interview with him some years ago that said that even after Bloomstone's version became a hit, which was really a very string-oriented version, by the way, if you've never heard it, that Denny Lane got cheated out of the royalties. It went to number 15 in the charts for Bloomstone in 72, and it was the last song on his great, great initial solo record one year after the zombies broke up. That's why it's called One Year, because apparently um, Denny Lane signed a bad publishing contract, so he never made a ton of money from that song. But if you ever saw The Wings, he used to sing it. That was one of the two songs I know of that he used to sing during the Wings tours. 
Paul McCartney would had had that sort of esteem for him that he'd let him sing that one and they'd let him sing Go Now, two songs that, especially in England, people would know, so it made sense. But uh, may he rest in peace. It was really nice meeting him. I didn't get to talk to him more than like a... 30 seconds, 40 seconds, but I, the one thing I did say is how much I love that song. He seemed to be kind of uh, amused that I would mention it because mostly only English people know, say you don't mind, but I've met a whole bunch of people here who are fans of Denny and who who know his other work and other bands and as a solo artist and rate that song as highly as I do. I began today's show singing an old Louis Armstrong song from 1955 with Benny Carter Band, uh, Christmas time in New Orleans. The one and only time I was ever in New Orleans on Christmas. We heard that song um, downtown. We heard it out and about. about. We heard it when we first arrived in the airport on Christmas Day. Me and my wife before we had children. It's a really good memory because I was a big fan of that song. I really liked hearing it in New Orleans. New Orleans is a great place to be at Christmas time, whether you're observing the holiday or just like people being happy at a certain time of year because uh, everybody is really festive and boy, do they have good food down there. You want to eat some, um, in my case, gumbo and uh, maybe some red red beans and some special rice. I mean, oh, makes me hungry just thinking about it. But uh, happy, happy holidays to everybody out there. We're going to close today's show with a seven-song set, not about Christmas, not going to mention Christmas at all, but all about winter. And none of them will be those sort of winter songs that sneak into Christmas playlists either, uh, with exception of um, one. That's probably the most famous of all, the last song. An eight-song set will be one of those. But you know, in a way, maybe by sticking it in context with other winter songs, We'll be uh, see, returning it to being a non-Christmas, just great December, January, February song. But first, let me uh, go on with the show. I have to quickly thank our sponsors before I move on to the next set. That's something I do here every week in this slot because I am very grateful that people do sponsor this show and allow me to do it every week. Without them, I would not be here because this is a 100% listener-supported show. So let me thank the people who go to patreon.com slash jackrabbit. That's my page where they pledge a small amount of money. And then all of their um, credit cards get charged at the start of every month, that small amount. Adds up to crowdfunding, keeps this show going, and the magazine as well, because we have a brand new issue just out on the, uh, on the stands, which you'll be hearing about in the next set, uh, number 93 with Slow Dive on the cover, so we're going to be hearing Slow Dive. But I'll mention five of the folks who go to the Patreon page. I'll mention, excuse me, Mary Grant. Tom Green is one of our greatest supporters. Thank you, um, Mary and Tom. One of my oldest friends since the 80s, Wayne Guskind. Wayne O, if you're listening, how the heck are you? We really need to get together soon. Also, Terry Ham and my dear, dear friend from Tokyo, Chieko Hashimoto who has the spirit of Christmas in her as well as any friend I've ever met. I always think of her in conjunction with Snoopy, uh, apart from the Charlie Brown Christmas special, because she has that kind of spirit in her heart. So well, anyway, Mary and Tom and Wayne, Tara and Shaco, on behalf of all the sponsors, and all the people who also send checks, or um, PayPal, or Zelle, or Venmo, 
or Cash or anything. Yeah, all those people I greatly, greatly respect and greatly, greatly, sincerely feel gratitude towards because I really like doing this show every single week, weekend, week out. Thank you so much, all you folks. And uh, remember, you can... Uh, you can not only see their names in every issue, which is totally appropriate, but at every playlist for this show where it's archived after it airs here at BigTakeOver.com slash radio. Now let's go on to the next set. Ty mentioned, I did a little tease there, this next set is going to be very new issue-centric. In fact, we're going to start it out once again like we did last week with four bands interviewed in the new issue 93, plus the fifth a song in this set is going to be a band quoted in one of the interviews because uh, the Fountains of Wayne interview is an uh, amalgam of interviews with surviving members, one dead member, and other people who have been inspired by the Fountains of Wayne album, Welcome Interstate Managers. So it's all about that record in 2003 because it's the 20th anniversary now. That'll be the fourth song in the set, and Diners will be the fifth uh, band, uh, is one of the groups that did... Um, come on record for S.W. Loudon's piece about Fountains of Wayne. But before we hear those two tracks, we're going to hear Slow Dive, then Sloan, and Soft Science, all three who have very long features in the new issue. Starting with Slow Dive, our cover stars. I'm excited. Did you get your issue yet? If not, it's going to be there any day now. I'm sure the postal people will come through with me. I've heard from most of you that you've got it, but there's probably some stragglers still out there. But if it's coming. Uh, some, some postal people, you never know what you're going to get from. But uh, I've been excited handing it to some of my friends around town and uh, seeing it in various stores like Barnes & Noble, what have you. But that's uh, because I'm a really big Slow Dive fan, and this is, I think, the sixth out of the eight songs from the new album I've played for you. Remember, I never play the same recording twice. And again, that's a testament to how, how consistent Slow Dive is as well on their new record called Everything is Alive. It's such a good record, it made me want to put them on the cover. When you hear its songs, you may think likewise. And hopefully this set will make you want to buy the issue if you haven't yet, or you can always order it at shop.bigtakeover.com. It's where you can subscribe with that issue in mind, or just order the one issue. 93, here are the cover stars from Everything is Alive, their new album. The Ageless Slow Dive from Reading, England. This song is called A Life.
flashes across the ocean The water was used to make baby lotion The wheels of promotion were set into motion But the sun still shines in the summertime I'll be yours if you'll be mine I tried to change, but I changed my mind Think I'll have another glass of Mexican wine Someday I'll go surfing 
Said, sweetheart, the party's over. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all good things must end. Call it a night. The party's over. And tomorrow starts the same old thing again. Tomorrow starts the same old thing again Oh, yes You said 
imagine just yourself Come let's live together To make love much better
Last week I played you some really great mid-1970s reggae by Culture. Got me in the mood to give you another one there, also from the mid-70s. From 1975, that was Leroy Smart. That song was called Oh Darling, and in case you think it was just coincidence, uh, that it has the exact same title as a Beatles song from six years prior to that. Well, one of the lyrics is, Please believe me, so I think it highly unlikely. <laughs> but obviously, Mr. Smart decided to write his own song. That's a self-written original tune by him from the guy that a lot of us punk rock fans first heard of in the Clash song, White Man in Hammersmith Palais, as he's name-checked in it. But just a great record there. You're listening to The Big Takeover Show on RealPunkRadio.com. I'm your host, Jack Rabbit. Every week I seem to play at least one reggae or ska or rock steady song and one country song, just those are two of my favorite genres and great for rock and roll fans. So before that, we heard a country song. That was Willie Nelson with The Party's Over, a single of his from 1967, and a country hit for him. But he'd written it a long time before that, good, uh, I think, decade prior to that, and it had already been recorded in 1959, eight years before that, by a singer named Claude Gray. For the first five or six years of Nelson's tenure in the music business, he was mostly known as a songwriter. And he wrote a string of hits for other people. And he got to be you know, kind of a go-to guy there. When you write a bunch of hits, everybody wants to know what your next song is. And then eventually he started making his own records, and they started catching on. And so uh, he, his own versions exist of almost all the songs that we associate with other people, whether it's Patsy Cline or any of those people. But uh, Willie Nelson there had a hit with that song when he was much younger than he is today, and a lot of football fans were at least peripherally aware peripherally aware of that song because Dandy Don Meredith used to sing it live on the air, at least just the opening line of it, Turn Out the Lights, the party's over, you know, during Monday Night Football broadcast, and he would always sing it whenever like it was a play that uh, basically sealed the game for one team or the other, like like a touchdown with a minute left that gave a team its 11-point lead or something like that, or something like that, or an interception that would lead to the other team taking a knee, that kind of thing. So uh, I didn't actually know the song. I just knew that Dandy Don was singing a song. I didn't realize it was a Willie Nelson song when I was a little kid, but now I do. Just the sort of thing you might learn if you tune in here every week. I'm always good with tidbits like that that may ring a bell with you. Uh, maybe you knew that already, and if, in which case you hopefully didn't mind being reminded of it. Before that, we heard five modern bands. Uh, as I said, the fifth of those groups was going to be one name-checked in, in the Fountains of Wayne piece, more than name-checked, quoted. That would be the uh, main member of the Diners, Blue Broderick is quoted in S.W. Lawden's piece because he's a fan of Fountains of Wayne and loves Welcome Interstate Manager. The album in question for Mr. Lawden's piece in our editorial section. So with that in mind, I played a diner's track for you there from their new album, Domino. That was Someday I'll Go Surfing from the L.A. band on the Bar None label, produced by another power pop legend these days, Mo Troper. Pretty good song there for sure. And that was indeed Mountain of uh, Mountains, Mountains of Wayne. It was Mountains of Wayne before that. If you've ever been to Wayne, New Jersey, 
where the fountains of Wayne took their name from, where there was actually a business that sold nothing but fountains out on the highway. Uh, you'd think that was funny. There are no mountains in Wayne, New Jersey. Fountains of Wayne gave us Mexican wine, the opening track on their immortal 2003 third LP. Welcome, Interstate Managers. The one that had Stacy's mom on it, which went to number 21 on the charts, which surprised everybody. Although in the interview section of Mr. Loudon's piece, Jody Porter said he could see it coming and tried to talk the late Adam Schlesinger out of recording that song. <laughs> it's, I, it's, it doesn't make sense to me that anybody could be sure that even a catchy novelty song like that would be a hit, but he wasn't wrong. Adam Schlesinger has been dead now for three years. He died April 1st, one of the first casualties of COVID in 2020, aged only 52. So our new issue has not only a Fountains of Wayne piece, one of his bands, but also part two of the interview that we started last issue, in issue 92, with Ivy, the other band that he was in simultaneously. So if you're an Adam Schlesinger fan, we got you covered. This issue uh, wasn't planned that way. But I liked both bands so much, it makes perfect sense, even if it happened by accident. Soft Science, on the other hand, is no accident. They're one of my favorite groups in America. I'm kind of surprised we didn't do a big, long feature on them before. Sometimes I just, I'm blind. I'm like a blind squirrel that finds a nut, right? In this case, the nut was brought by the great James A. Broshai, one of my favorite people. A good friend of mine as well as a good writer in our magazine. He's been doing a ton of our interviews lately. He's a workhorse. I keep saying, like, hey, James, you know, I don't want to overwork you. I don't want this to be like drudgery. But he's keen to do a lot of these stories. And soft science was a really good idea he had. I was like, yeah, that's so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? Because I'm a dunce. That's why. Katie Haley on vocals there. A modern Mickey Bereni or Rachel Goswell, it says here. They're fantastic, sighing, breathy voice, as I've said in print. With the twins, Matt Levine and Ross Levine, guitar and drums, respectively. And Tony and Becky Kale, that's a married couple, right behind her fulfilling this lush, smoldering, gorgeous sound. That's, I'm quoting myself again. Hopefully that's not too stupid. But that's just how I feel about them. We heard Deceiver from their new album, Lines. Came out September 8th, I think it was. And it's one of my favorite albums of all 2023. Great, great people, too, if you ever meet them. They're just ridiculously friendly that is my idea of a great band. Great to meet, great to listen to, great to see you live. Sloan is the same thing. All three of those things. We heard from them, Dream It All Over Again, but I've already played you the studio version of that, but maybe it's just as well to play a live version there because it's a, um, a repeat of the idea that they sing so well on stage. I mean, they do those harmonies just so... Um, easily, like it's like like it's just breathing air, basically. And I think harmonies just are second nature to Sloan. They're just one of the best harmony singing bands in the world, and they can just always pull it off live. In that case, it's Jay Ferguson. He wrote that song and sings lead, along with Chris Murphy backing him on, on most of those like, call-response kind of vocals they like to do. It's kind of one of those things that happens in a lot of Jay's song. He uses Chris's wonderful voice to answer him. A track from their most recent album, Steady, which has been better received than most of the Sloan albums. Uh, That's not to say that people didn't like the other ones. It's just more that this one seems to be getting greater attention, greater reaction. 
So that means a lot of people who weren't, weren't Sloan fans are starting to get back on board or getting on board for the first time, and that's just wonderful. That can really sustain a band that, after all, is touring their 13th album, going back 31 years since their first one. And Slow Dive started that set. Sloan was my interview. Uh, I did it in conjunction with Jim and Caroline, my two kids, because Sloan and the Beths are their two favorite bands in the whole world. And uh, I think Sloan is the one they listen to the most because the Beths only have three albums, whereas Sloan has 13, plus endless B-sides and non-LPA sides. So um, um, Jim got his you know uh, thing from Spotify where it tells you what you listen to this year, and it said he was in the top 001% of all Sloan fans listening to, to the band on Spotify this year. And I have to say, that didn't surprise me. He actually loves that group, and there was so many Sloan songs. If you're starting late, you know, and not his fault, he's just a little kid, but um, what a smorgasbord to be listening to over the course of 2023, right? So they helped me in that interview, where Slow Dive was another one of my interviews, but I did that by myself, um, both of them done by Zoom. It's a great way to do interviews this year, um, or this epoch. Because you don't have to coordinate around bands' touring schedules, which then it's hard to do interviews or have them fly to New York just to do interview junkets where they start getting restless and bored. I like this. This has worked really well. We've done, I think, our last five or six cover stories on Zoom lately, and it really does well. In this case, uh, part one of my slow dive cover story this issue is my interview with Neil Halstead, the guitarist, songwriter, singer. Part two will be coming in issue 94 in the spring with the singer Rachel Goswell, who I just mentioned. The two of them have been together in Slow Dive and Mojave 3 going back to the very late 80s and used to be a couple way back then, and they're still clearly very good friends. So that worked out, and wow, do they sing well together. In fact, the song we heard there, A Life, which is one word, A Life, (laughs) there's no space between them in the title, is one of those examples where they both do sing lead and they also intertwine their voices, and they do that so incredibly well. Another hallmark of Slow Dive's records and Mojave 3's records as well, including the new one, Everything is a Lie, which I greatly recommend. Also, one of my favorite albums of this year. Now, they are also touring. I mentioned Always Tour. Slow Dive is doing the exact same parts of the country, the same four, just not in the same order. Uh, roughly the same time, too. I think, what did I say? Uh, Always is here April 18th to May 17th. And Slow Dive, coming from England, is here April, 20, April 25th to May 18th. Same thing, Southwest, Midwest, Mountain West, and South, from California to Missouri, in their case, uh, down to Texas and over to North Carolina. So I won't be seeing Slow Dive again, same as always, but... Uh, uh, I share this country again with all you fellow music fans. Um, and of course, if you live in Canada or, or England, you've got more of a chance to see Sloan and Always, or in England's case, Slow Dive. So it's nice that all these bands have been playing so much in America. We're glad to see them all. <coughs> again, I hope that uh, set leads some of you who are on the fence or who just haven't gotten around to it yet to order that new issue. Again, that's at shop.bigtakeover.com. You can just buy the issue by itself or as part of, sub- part of a subscription quite easily with uh, PayPal or uh, debit cards or credit cards. 
Very simple indeed. And I've been sending them out in droves the last couple of weeks. Whenever a new issue appears, suddenly we get tons and tons of orders. It makes me really happy because uh, me and James and all the other people in uh, SW, we, we all work so hard on the magazine. It just makes it, makes it feel really good that people start reading it. After all that work, it's a, it's a really nice thing indeed. Well, let's move on with the show. i got two more long sets for you. This one is going to start out a little in, unconventionally before we hear a couple of new tracks. And then we're going to pay tribute to the late Norman Lear in a couple of songs. And pay the opposite, rest in shame, to Henry Kissinger at the end of this set. A guy I'm absolutely no fan of, although I will recognize that some of the things he did were good. Uh, some of them benefited us all, but some of them, well, hard to defend. But before we get there, let's start with this really interesting thing, which is the Beatles, a song a lot of people know because it was on Meet the Beatles in America with the Beatles in England and most of the rest of the world. But in this case, we're going to hear the song without vocals. And you say, well, why do you want to hear a Beatles song without vocals? Why would you have a version where the vocals have been uh, taken off? And I say, because the the singing in the Beatles is just such a uh, attention suck, as you'd expect, because they were such incredible singers, that sometimes you don't realize what a hot band they are. I mean, maybe you are, especially during the instrumental versions, or maybe you're just a kind of music fan that makes it a point. But uh, even if you are one of those people, it can be really illuminating just to pull the vocals off and hear the Beatles as a band. Uh, ensemble of four people with four different instruments who not only play together so extremely well and were really well recorded I guess it would have been Norman Smith who was the head engineer on that record and of course George Martin was the producer but you can really pick out the parts they do and how well they mesh the two different guitar parts in particular that uh, John and uh, George do are very subtle when when you look at it, they're not playing the same thing at all, and yet they slot in very well together. And then the bass, the bass is just really great. I, I really want you to pay attention to the bass line and the drumming on this. The bass line in particular, it's, it's clearly that the best guitar player in the band, Paul McCartney, had to take over the bass position because nobody else would do it. So he didn't just say, like, oh, I'll play bass like they did on Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley records. He wanted to be like a lead bassist, keep from getting bored. And he's just all over this track. And you can possibly notice it more with with his lead vocals taken off and the backing vocals taken off. And also you can hear what a slamming drummer in the pocket and yet not overpowering anything that Ringo is with his open hi-hat. If you never played drums, like I, I'm a drummer myself, he doesn't open the hi-hat so much that like the two symbols are apart he keeps them closed just enough so that they're touching but with no pressure on them so that when he hits them he gets a full like sound whereas if you push down hard you get a tick 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 sound that's the best i can explain to you what you do with your left foot and you just raise it up just enough so that the two are barely touching but there's no actual pressure on either one you get that and then on the uh, bridges, he switches to a, a floor tom smashing that don't know what it means to hold you tight part if you know this song. And that just completely gives it a kind of a primal thump that changes it up the rhythm and sound completely. Well, I've said too much. It's just time to hear the track. I've hopefully primed the pump for you well on this. 
the instrumental version from With the Beatles or Meet the Beatles, an alternate mix with um, vocals only heard kind of echoing in the background if you really listen closely. This song is called Hold Me Tight.
mister, we could use a man like Herbert Hoover again. People seem to be content. Fifty dollars paid the rent. Freaks were in a circus tent. All for the day. Watch the Dodgers win. Have yourself a dandy day that, that costs you under a fin. Hair was short and skirts were long. Kate Smith really sold a song. I don't know just what went wrong. Those were the was recorded on tape before a live audience.
are you getting along with today's show so far? Good, I hope. We only have two more shows this year. It's hard to believe. 2023 is almost over. When we get to the next set of all winter songs, not Christmas songs, but winter songs, seasonal songs that aren't the ones that you hear on the radio, have no connection with Christmas really, except for, I guess, the last one in the set. Uh, it's hard to believe another year is over, a new one just begun, as John Lennon once sang. Of course, we heard the Beatles earlier in that set, did we not? But we heard the Bee Gees, the Beatles contemporaries at the end there. That was an unreleased track from 1973. I doubt you've ever heard it before, unless you're a massive early Bee Gees fan as I am. I mostly stick to the 62 to 72 stuff. I will admit, my friend Bruce Halverson uh, keeps on me to go a little further to 73 and 74, that there's some okay stuff. I don't like it as much, including that track, but it's definitely way better than their disco stuff where I lost interest completely, which is, of course, when everybody else lionizes them. They're enormously um, famous, and their reputation has been rehabilitated, I think. People now respect their disco stuff, again, after falling out of favor for a long time. But for me... The 62 to 72 Bee Gees is where it's at. Now, that's the 73 Bee Gees from an unreleased album called A Kick in the Head is Worth Eight in the Pants. <laughs> well, that was what it was going to be called. A song amazingly called Dear Mr. Kissinger. The Bee Gees so rarely uh, delved into politics, even in their interviews, let alone their songs. That that song always surprised me when I finally heard it. I didn't hear it, obviously, when I was 11 years old. I heard it in the 90s on a bootleg. That's a very well bootlegged record since it was a whole album's worth of Bee Gees stuff and they are one of the three or four most famous, most popular bands worldwide, not even just here, in the history of recorded music. So of course that was going to be bootlegged. But yeah, a rare anti-war track there. Anti-Kissinger track, a pro-democracy track. Four years after John Lennon himself gave us Give Peace a Chance, Unfortunately, that was a hit single for Lennon, whereas the Bee Gees' Dear Mr. Kissinger never was heard by anybody. Um, really good vocal there from the great Barry Gibb there from London Sessions, recorded in January 73. Uh, from two albums worth of sessions, they began a few months before that in late 72 for two different albums. Not only a kick in the head is worth eight in the pants, but also the one that did come out, Life in a Tin Can. Unfortunately, their impresario, their longtime manager, Robert Stigwood, he put the kibosh on the release of A Kick in the Head after Life in a Tin Can did so poorly. And the first single from A Kick in the Head, Wouldn't I Be Someone, did every bit as badly. So that's why, despite the BG's fame and popularity, that album didn't see the light of day. And in fact, had they not... Um, made the move into disco and completely taken over the pop charts by storm. They could have been thought of as a band falling out of favor after a really good five-year run from 67 to 72, which produced uh, a good dozen or so hits, uh, dominating the pop charts without completely uh, having the same profile as, say, the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or Stevie Wonder or some of those people, the the Motown people. But... uh, yeah, uh, they were struggling in 73 and 74 and 75 or so before the disco and the pre-disco funk era began and the falsettos rained down on us. But uh, I say rest in shame. Henry Kissinger died this week 
after living a hundred years, just to prove there is no justice in the world. Again, I am, unlike a lot of people, I will acknowledge we did benefit from some of his foreign policy, but he is a war criminal. I think that is just uh, not a radical thought. You know, the people who died in Cambodia from the indiscriminate bombing of that country certainly did not deserve to die. And the Khmer Rouge may may never have taken power and begun their murderous spree had not the entire country been so uh, destabilized, even though they were not, um, they were not Vietnam. I'm not going to go crazy over that. I think uh, other people can advocate for that position more than me, but uh, I was not sad to hear of his death in that sense. I felt bad for all the death he caused, uh, which is a war crime. Anyway, let's not go on with that. Uh, there was another death, as I mentioned, Norman Lear. Uh, he's one who I admire a great deal, on the other hand. He was not a musician, so I don't have any songs about him or by him to play for you, but uh, obviously the two I played for you there will bring back memories of anybody who grew up as I did with All in the Family, one of the five or six greatest TV shows ever, if you ask me, and probably the most daring the most courageous and uh, the most valuable in some ways, making people talk about issues instead of sweeping them under the rug. We heard Carol O'Connor and Gene Stapleton, the two main characters of All in the Family, along with Rob Reiner, who's still with us and still out there talking about things and making movies. In fact, they just announced there's going to be another Spinal Tap movie that Mr. Reiner's going to make, so there you have it. But uh, Archie Bunker and Edith Bunker were their characters singing in character. Those were the days. That was a song that did not exist before that show. A lot of people thought it was some old song they were singing. Certainly sounded like one, didn't it? No, it was actually written for the TV show by Lee Adams, who wrote the lyrics, and Charles Strauss, who wrote the music. In Again, in characters, uh, writing to order. And that was indeed the uh, TV show theme for that really popular show which ran throughout the 70s, starting in 1971. You may have noticed, too, if you were a popular, um, if you were a dedicated fan of that show, that they edited it down. There was a whole verse and chorus taken out and not aired on TV. And I used to go to parties and other when I would go out and get drunk with people, and I'd always tell people the, miss, the lyrics to the missing verse, and they would always crack out laughing because it's absolutely hysteric, right? Hysterical. What was it? Uh, people used to be content, $50 paid the rent, freaks were in a circus tent. <laughs> Just repeating it now. <laughs> It makes me laugh. I guess that was, if they had to cut a verse, that would be the one they would cut, right? But very much in keeping with the characters portrayed on that show. I think the other one was what, um, just a, um, the outro. We heard Roger Kellaway. He was both the pianist and composer who did the outro to the All in the Family TV show. That's a song. It actually has a title. It's not called Those Were the Days. It's called Remembering You. And uh, here's the part where we tell you, in case you didn't know, that Mr. Um, Norman Lear was ripping off English TV shows in a lot back then. Uh, and that's perfectly legal. There's nothing unethical about it. If someone else has a good idea, you can bring it here, much like The Office more recently. There was an English TV show called The Office. They just kept the title and made it more about America instead of Slough, <laughs> a new town. 
that everyone kind of puts down in England. Uh, they made it, they Americanized the version. Well, in England, uh, there was a show called Till Death Do Us Part, which ran around the same time, starting six years earlier in 65, with Alf Garnett. Uh, that was, instead of Archie Bunker, it was Alf Garnett, played by Warren Mitchell. And then uh, Norman Lear did the same thing, only focusing on a black uh, um, sitcom that would be Sanford and Son. That was in England, Steptoe and Son, which wasn't black, so I think I give him credit for that, giving Red Fox a vehicle. Now, who was Red Fox's counterpart in Steptoe and Son instead of Sanford and Son? It was none, none other than Wilfred Bramble. He was the rag and bone man in the English version instead of the junk man, which is what you would call him here. And who was Wilfred Bramble? You know who he is. Even if you don't know him by name, he's the guy who played Paul's fictional grandfather, Paul McCartney, in Hard Day's Night when he was only 52, but he looked like he was 70, didn't he? Or even 75. And of course, the reason he got the part in the first place is because he was basically Fred Sanford, i.e. Steptoe. (laughs) He played Steptoe. And that's how they knew he could be a really good curmudgeon and kind of like shady character and uh, uh, kind of wily character that he certainly was in A Hard Day's Night. Now, one other thing to note is I always thought of uh, All in the Family as a New York show. Clearly, if you know anything about Queens, and of course I do, having grown up in this area and lived in New York City now for 43 years, uh, the show is absolutely New York. It couldn't be more New York, and yet it was not filmed here. It was filmed in Los Angeles at Metro Media Square, which is why almost entirely, uh, since it was filmed in front of a live audience, it's all the sets are indoors, usually on the porch or inside the home of Archie Bunker and Edith Bunker, or down the street at the Stivics. Michael Stivic being Rob Runner's character, and him and his wife, who was Archie and Edith's daughter. Well... That's why, because they couldn't go out and film anything out in New York streets since they were in Hollywood, California. Uh, They did show quite a few New York uh, stuff when Roger Kellaway's outro was playing. There's all kinds of shots of Manhattan and aerial views and stuff just to reinforce that, plus tons and tons of footage of typical neighborhoods in Queens and the Archie Archie Bunker house itself. But no, it's actually... uh, filmed in California in front of a live audience. Well, enough about that. Rest in peace, Norman Lear. You did such great work. I always enjoyed your shows, including Jefferson's and Maud. I mean, it was really interesting stuff. And that two-part Maud episode about abortion was probably the most courageous television of the entire 1970s. A very real discussion on the topic, and not like lefty or righty or anything, just people grappling with you know real-life issues. Well, before that, we heard a bunch of music that was nowhere near as contentious as either All in the Family, the show, or, <laughs> or no, Henry Kissinger, the politician. But uh, Brother Bird was the group before that that was covering Not a Surf, if you know that song. Brother Bird featuring Kevin Devine. Now, Brother Bird is actually a Nashville-based solo project of Caroline Swan, S-W-O-N, not A-N. And I give her really good props for not only covering one Not A Surf cover, in that case, Blonde on Blonde, but the B-side is also a Not A Surf cover. So 
much like her uh, Tennessee contemporary uh, uh, Gretchen's Wheel, who did an entire album of Not a Surf songs. It must be something in Tennessee where they just absolutely love Not a Surf, uh, our own New York band. Can't blame them for that. I'm a big fan myself. But uh, they did a very nice job there, I think, covering Blonde on Blonde, as in listening to it, the Dylan album. The Junipers, before that, was another request from Elizabeth Klizowicz. I didn't realize it's been seven years since Red Bouquet Fair. High time for another album. But for now, we get the single. We heard a B-side because that's what uh, Elizabeth wanted to hear called Of Grove Dreams. The A-side, if you go looking for it, is Geordie Can't Swim from the decade-plus band from Leicester in the UK, spelled Leicester, L-E-I-S-T-E-R, but pronounced Leicester, and led by Robin Gibson, who has made a bunch of solo singles I've played on this show in the interim. But yeah, high time for another Juniper's record, I would say. Before that, we heard a band called The Back Issues. Every now and then I get a submission from one of our readers. They're not always great. A lot of times they're really spirited, but you need to have talent, imagination, uh, uh, songwriting ability, singing ability. There's a lot that goes into making a great record other than just a good attitude and knowledge of fine music. But uh, it seems like quite a few times I find ones that I think, hey, that's really good. That's what I'm looking for. Doesn't matter how I come across it. In this case, uh, one of our readers, Adam White, is in the band that we heard there. That was The Back Issues. He's in the group along with James Lever, or Lever, L-E-A-V-E-R, and Kyle Urban, recording in Wisconsin in the United States. We heard the title track to their new EP called Justine. Very spirited power pop kind of stuff there, I think. So I'm not surprised that he's a fan of our magazine because we cover music that sounds a lot like The Back Issues. And now we'll probably end up covering them too. And we started that set with two Beatles-related things. Uh, The version of Now and Then we heard after Hold Me Tight, I threw in. I'd mentioned on the broadcast last week that there was a 1963-style version of Now and Then out there. I was considering playing it for you, but it's a little kind of Mercy Beat-ish, you know? Kind of like boppy, and I don't like it as much as the version I just came across this week, which is... Somebody else has done a Hard Day's Night style version. I guess this is just what's going on now. It's now that A1 exists and people have their own recording studios and they're figuring out how um, George and uh, Paul and Ringo went back and made recordings out of John Lennon's piano demos. Well, people are doing it themselves. This guy's name is Timmy Sean. One word, Timmy Sean. His version of Now and Then, 1964 style. He has it on YouTube. I say it's a Beatles cover in Hard Day's Night style. And he wrote in his submission, This recording contains no samples of other recordings. The music and vocals were performed and recorded by a real live human. And then the lead vocals I sang were then run through AI filters to replicate the tones of Paul, John, and George's voices. So it's kind of like Beatlesque, more than most Beatlesque things, which was when you do something that's like the Beatles, that case, they're even using AI technology to do that. Whereas we heard the real Beatles before then, uh, the instrumental version, Hold Me Tight. I, after that big buildup I gave you uh, what to look for, I won't go over that again except to wonder aloud, did you get any of that? Was that interesting or did that bore the pants off of you or make you wish that I had just played the normal version with Paul McCartney's lead vocal, one of his best early songs there? And uh, John and uh, George doing the backing vocals, of course, quite 
distinctly Beatlesque-like uh, doing call responses with Paul, in fact, on those vocals. But I thought it was really interesting. Um, I think you really hear how the band grooves and attacks and lays back and just, I don't know, just a one-of-a-kind band, unlike anything else that was making records in 1963 when that was recorded. The actual track would have been issued, I guess, in very late 63, early 64 on with the Beatles, uh, Meet the Beatles in America, I guess, in very early 64. Depends on what version you got is what I'm saying. But uh, in 1963, there was no band like the Beatles in the world. Rock and roll was considered kind of a dead issue. There were some bands going here and there without a lot of success. Certainly in the Pacific Northwest, there was a whole gaggle of bands like the Whalers and the Raiders, Paul Revere and the Raiders, that is, and the Kingsmen and the Sonics and people like that uh, doing some great music on a regional level. But the Beatles, the, they were just the best band in the world there as a rock and roll band after all those all those eight-hour days in Hamburg and all those you know two or three set days at the Cavern Club in Liverpool, they were just pretty naturally tight and they could really write. But most of all, once they upgraded the drummer position in the middle of 1962, they became an absolute force to reckon with. And you can really hear it sometimes best when you take out the vocals. Well, enough about that. I've got one more regular set for you. Uh, we're going to close today's show after this set with a version of the song It's Only a Paper Moon, which I'm going to dedicate now to the also late Ryan O'Neill, another person who died that I admired this week. At least I loved a lot of the films he was in. But before we do that, as uh, teased before, this next set is going to be eight songs, all of which are connected to the season of winter. Only the last one, which are going to be two mini versions of one of the most popular winter songs that also has leaked into Christmas. I mean, it's such a Christmas carol that people don't realize it never says anything about Christmas. Uh, it's another one about sleigh riding, basically, but it's not that song. It's the most famous and popular of all. But it's Danny Kaye with Nat King Cole and then Danny Kaye with Peggy Lee doing two abbreviated versions of the song. I've already said too much. But before we get to that, the first seven songs are all going to be about winter, and it's going to run the gamut. It's going to be fun. It's going to be sledding. It's going to be fretful. It's going to be depressed. <laughs> it's going to be uh, kind of riveting. It's going to be uh, romantic. It's going to be silly. All the different ways you can look at winter, both as a season and as a metaphor for uh, a difficult time in your life or depression or um, sadness or going through a, a rough patch. All those things. It's all in this set. Now, we heard Big Bad Voodoo Daddy last week because they're masters of this, I think. We're going to hear them again. We're, in fact... I thought I'd already played this for you, but apparently I hadn't. This is my favorite Big Bad Voodoo Daddy song of all time. From that same album I played last week, Everything You Want for Christmas from 2004. This is a song that was originally in a Rankin slash Bass 1974 TV show. You know, the animated stuff from the people who brought us Frosty the Snowman, Little Drummer Boy, and of course Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This was from a different one. That was called A Year Without Santa Claus. Remember that? Voiced by Mickey Rooney and Shirley Booth. I used to watch it every year. So I knew this song uh, long before Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, the swing revival band from California, covered it. But I thought their version was tops. This really is a good party song. And it really hopefully will set the tone for this set of all the different twists and turns it's about to take. 
from 2004, written by uh, Maury Laws and Jules Bass for that Rankin Bass um, TV show from 74. Here is Big Bad Voodoo Daddy to get us started. This song is called Mr. Heat Miser. Get really hot! <laughs> 
belt and tugging at my shoulder To come and join in the celebrations To mark the triumph of the Emperor The old conquering ever Last in summer in the streets were awash With the blood of the innocent sacrificed to slaughter And the crowds all drunk with power and madness As the noise grew ever louder And I could hear the knives being sharpened And I wished that it was over Bring me the snowfall Bring me the cold winds Bring me the snowfall Bring me the winter Let all the sins of the past be buried in the frozen ground Let the laughter of the vengeance fires die The black winds flying high above the skeleton trees Disappear into the And the killing season over Let the shadows stretch forever In light to burn your silver For I fear the age of consequence And I wish that it was over Yes, I fear the age of consequence And I wish that it was over Yes, I fear the age of consequence And I wish that it was over Bring me the snowfall Bring me the cold wind Bring me the snowfall Bring me the cold, cold wind Bring me the winter Rock Antenne, der beste Rock non-stop
came to love With the lady love you go Skimming o'er the icy snow Silver moon above In the winter When the snow is softly falling That's the time to squeeze When it starts to freeze In October and November And December just remember Winter Sweetheart comes a-calling By the fireside so bright you sit and tease her That's the time to squeeze her when it's winter In October and November And December just remember Sweetheart comes a-calling By the fireside so bright You'll sit and tease her That's the time to squeeze her When it's winter You know what I think we ought to do? Okay, well... I think we ought to take a little sleigh ride together okay. Which way you want to go? This way, this way <laughs> Here we go A jingle bells, a jingle a jingle all the way A what fun to ride To sit and ride in a one-horse open sleigh Jing, jingle, 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 jingle A jingle, jingle, jingle all the live long day I love to sashay in that one-horse sleigh And jingle, 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 jingle all the way Far across the fields we go Oh, ho, 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 and all the way, all the way In the customary one-horse open sleigh Tell somebody in the rain Jingle, 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 Let's fly away. We've reached the end of today's episode, number 364. Or 464, what am I talking about? A big takeover show on realpunkradio.com. I'm your host, Jack Rabbit. I do have a version of It's Only a Paper Moon to leave you with. I'll tell you in a second who it's by. But first, let me tell you what you heard there in a set completely dedicated to winter songs. I pretty much gave away the ghost of what we'd be hearing at the end of there. That was indeed Jingle Bells. We hear it so much Christmas times, you don't really think about it. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Nothing at all. Except that, like a lot of songs about the winter, often about sleigh rides, they've become synonymous with the holiday, when really what they are is just a great thing to do in the winter. So I was trying to reclaim that there. I'm not sure I succeeded. I'm not sure anybody could. But Danny Kay is so much fun, and of course he's singing some terrific harmonies there. Aren't those great duet harmonies? Not just the pop singers or the Everly Brothers or the doo-wop groups 
or the Mills Brothers could sing great har- harmonies. Danny Kaye could do it all. He could be a comedian. He could be an actor. He could be a singer. He could be a dancer. He was just one of those do-it-all kind of guys. And he was given two TV specials in 63 and 66 at Christmas time to prove it. One December 25th on Christmas Day in 63. That's where the duet with Nat King Cole emanates from, from his TV special that day. The other one was December 21st, 66, three years later, when he did a new version with Peggy Lee. And just wonderful stuff there, I think, and very brief. So hopefully you can indulge me on those two um, mini renditions, even if you're sick to death of the song and Christmas songs in general. I know I sound a little defensive about playing holiday songs, but uh, I really do go out of my way to try and mark the season with the sort of festive nature I feel every December without trying to bore the pants out of people who, uh, like me, get a little bored of even the songs that you liked as a child, having to hear them in every story you go into and whatnot. Well, you're certainly not going to hear the Spike Jones and his City Slickers song called Winter from 1952 we heard before Danny Kaye. Everything Spike Jones did was hilarious. <laughs> That's just a stipulation we can make in a court of law. We don't need to litigate that. One of the funniest recording acts in the history of recorded music. And not just Der Fuhrer's face either, which is his all-time classic. They're doing a pretty good send-up of the whole like winter sort of song and winter season idea and doing it quite well. Whereas the romantic track I uh, promised you there was Looks Like a Cold, Cold Winter from 1950 by Georgia Gibbs. I actually prefer a version from the other ones that came out around that time, uh, including the one by Bing Crosby, which was much more famous which is right around the time the trombonist Jack Fulton wrote it with two others, and it became a, a brief staple for a short while, and then it was largely forgotten. A few people have covered it. I think Ingrid Michelson, is that her name? I think she did one in the modern age, but very few people have done that song, so we've been spared having to overhear it every uh, December, even though it could be construed as a seasonal song. Whereas there's absolutely nothing joyful and I've seen nothing seasonal about the sounds song Winter from the album Shock of Daylight in 1984, one of the most depressing songs Adrian Borland ever recorded. I told him that to his face. Adrian was a good friend of mine. I often say I really enjoyed seeing him in England every year before he hightailed it off to Holland and lived in the Netherlands the last some years of his life. And then I never, I never saw him after he moved there because I never went to Holland. I just used to go to England every year. I used to go visit him, but uh, uh, he was not afraid of writing very, very sad songs or ones where, you're, as I said, you're going through a tremendous rough patch. And he obviously used the standard metaphor of the winter season for that dark, dark uh, year of the soul or two years or three years. I can tell you from my personal discussions with him now that he's dead that uh, he'd had a, a a romantic uh, liaison that had uh, great, given him great joy that had foundered with a girl in Philadelphia, and she was the muse of quite a few songs on Shock of Daylight and um, uh, Heads and Hearts, the one that followed it, on some of this, the happy songs, for instance, on Shock of Daylight were inspired by her. So I guess it petered out sort of quickly. I never did find out who she was. I never met her. I didn't pry that much. He just, that's what he told me. 
And that is the downside of winter is like it can be dreary. It can be ridiculously cold. It can be a lot of things, anything but joyful. Whereas the uh, kind of agitated song there was New Model Army, at least it was Justin Sullivan playing Unplugged. It's listed as New Model Army. When he appeared at the German radio station uh, Rock Antenne, again in Bavaria, something about Bavaria today, back in 2016, playing the title track from New Model Army's then new album. We played you the band's new single recently. They're coming out with a new album uh, very soon, early next year. But it was, I think, worthy to look back at their fantastic album called Winter. Their, I already played you the um, full band version, so there we get the unplugged version, which in many ways is just as powerful, I think. So I think Julie, Julie, Justin Sullivan is one of the most gripping performers, one of the most riveting performers with just nothing but a, a voice and a guitar on one of his tunes, whether he's playing with his full band or all by himself. He just he just never fails to hold my attention like like my life depends on it. Simon and Garfunkel also were that sort of actor. They didn't last very long. New Model Army's been going since like 81, 80, somewhere in there, and making records all that time, even though Justin is the only guy who's made it through all the lineups. Uh, Simon Garfunkel really only existed from about 63 or so to 69 or 70, I guess it was. Not very long at all. And uh, they only recorded five albums. They had, obviously, roots way further back than that. Uh, They were high school friends. Uh, They had a a kind of novelty hit when they were called Tom and Jerry in the mid-50s, which is why, if you know Simon Garfunkel, they still were calling each other Tom and Jerry as late as the song The Only Living Boy in New York when Simon says, Tom, go get your plane on time because Garfunkel was flying to Mexico to make yet another movie with Mike Nichols and Simon wanted to be in the movie too and Nichols was not interested in having him act in the movie. It was kind of a sad burn and it kind of cost us Simon and Garfunkel in a lot of ways, although they may well have broken apart without that extra uh, thing between them, shall we say? I think they were already having some contentious issues since Paul wrote all the songs, and all Art did was either sing lead on a minority of them or sing um, extraordinary harmonic backing vocals. But Hazy Shade of Winter there was live at Lincoln Center, New York City, January '67. In the mid '60s is where Lincoln Center is on the West Side. Um, the uh, Area that used to be where the sharks and the jets would meet up, the fictional sharks and jets in West Side Story, basically, is where they they raised a lot of that stuff to create Lincoln Center. I happen to go by there a lot because one of my daughter's best friends lives two blocks, two short blocks from Lincoln Center. So I pass by there all the time when Caroline goes to see her best friend. And I I think of uh, all the live records that I have recorded live at the various venues at Lincoln Center, like Alice Tully Hall, et cetera. I was recorded in 67, long before they released it. So that would be a live version of a song that the people at Lincoln Center would not have been familiar with. They would release it the following year as a single and as a track on their album, Bookends. These days, it's still kept alive by the Bangles who have reunited and still play now and then. And it's one of the songs they seem to perform regularly in their sets to this day. One of their better covers. Now, before that, we heard a song most of you probably don't know that's of a more modern vintage I really, really like. Uh, a lot of people obviously rate Mac McCaughan highly because he's a singer 
in the excellent band Superchunk, but uh, he also does a lot of solo records and side projects. And here he was doing a solo record where he wrote his own seasonal winter song. Uh, again, sleigh ride, in this case sledding, because he's, he's not out there with like horses or donkeys pulling a big sled sled with sleigh bells. Most of us just, just go sledding on flexible flyers, little plastic doodads or whatever. And so he wrote a song, and he sang it with Annie Hayden there called Down We Go, in parentheses, sledding song. You can find that on a compilation called You Wish, Emerge Records Holiday Album from 2019. And hopefully I did you a service if you don't know that song, because I think it's fabulous. One of the better ones for uh, enjoying your winter, the fun side of winter, as opposed to the song by the sound. And we started that set with Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. That was Mr. Heat Miser. I told you where that song originally emanated from, the Rankin and Bass TV show, A Year Without Santa Claus. I don't know if that's still on TV. I used to watch it because I was 12 when that debuted. But um, it was a good uh, 30 years later. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, the swing revival band from California, did that cover for their album, Everything You Want for Christmas. Well, I hope that was an interesting set. I was trying to do something original there. Uh, Again, songs about winter that aren't necessarily Christmas songs or associated with the holiday, you can do it. It is possible. Um, I could have just made it a seven-song set and left off Jingle Bells, but again, I was trying to make a point there that a lot of songs that we do think of as Christmas carols aren't. They're just songs about snow or sleigh rides or winter. Well, as I said, I'm going to finish with a cover of It's Only a Paper Moon. There are, believe it or not, over 400 recorded and released versions of this song. Since it was first sung in 1932, after Harold Arlen wrote it with E.Y. Harburg and Billy Rose. They wrote it for a Broadway show called The Great Magoo, which has been totally forgotten. No one does revivals of The Great Magoo, despite having one of the most famous songs in Broadway history and show tune history. I mean, 400 versions. That is a ton. This might be one of the most covered songs in the history of recorded music. But the reason I associate it with the late Ryan O'Neill is fairly obvious. He died December 8th from prostate cancer, age 82. I like so many of his movies. I never saw Peyton Place because I was too young. And it was way too salacious a show for like a five-year-old to be watching it, right? I didn't watch soap operas either. Nothing anywhere near that sexy when I was five. But uh, I saw quite a few movies he was in. And my favorite by far was, of course, Paper Moon, starring his daughter, uh, Tatum O'Neill. So it was an actual father and daughter playing a father and daughter with different names. But uh, the version we're going to hear today is from 1960, so about... 28 years after it was first recorded. You can go back to the Ella Fitzgerald sort of thing. All all the great crooners had it, this song. All the great stars of the 40s and 50s that my parents would have rated instead of me. But I like I like to go to the rock and roll era, even if it was kind of the doo-wop era. And my favorite version of this song is not Ella Fitzgerald, as great as she did with it. It's Dion and the Belmonts, the still-living Dion who made a record just a year or so ago that I played for you, uh, having survived his brush with death that killed his tour mates, Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper, Richie Valens, 
on a seat that he personally gave up because he didn't feel like blowing the money, and he had a free seat on a very cold bus. And that was 1959, still with us. Well, a year later is when he did this version. It was from an album most people don't know because it wasn't any massive hit or anything, called Wish Upon a Star. But this version, I think, is pretty jaunty as jaunty goes, and it's a good one, hopefully, to send you off the rest of your Monday and the rest of your week in a good mood because it's a really nice version, I think, and it's really fun, and it's got some teeth to it. It's got a little bit of a bite and does Harold Arlen proud, the guy who wrote Somewhere Over the Rainbow and so many other hits in the Great American Songbook. And with that, I will take my leave. My thanks to Jim Santo. He's the one who posts these shows at bigtakeover.com slash radio. You can hear these the shows after it airs here at, at realpunkradio.com anytime you like at your leisure just cut out the mic breaks you don't need to hear me say any of this stuff twice uh, unless you're just a glutton for punishment as I said but uh, there is a, a playlist there so you'll know what you heard and you can treat it as a mixtape thanks as well to Tommy he runs this station otherwise it wouldn't have a show either likewise thanks to the sponsors I wouldn't have a show without them as well really really good of them and thanks to you for listening sponsor or otherwise because uh, i think of us as kind of us sharing this time together i'm just picking the songs be like if you were here at my house and i just kept thinking of songs i'd like to play for you it's always been my proviso and with dion the belmonts it's only a paper moon from 1960s album wish upon a star i wish you all a great season a great holiday whatever one you're um, celebrating and once again i'll see you next monday bye bye Thanks. Say it's only a paper moon Sailing over a cardboard sea But it wouldn't be make-believe If you believed in me It's only a canvas sky Just as phony as it can be. Oh.